episode two of the Pour River podcast. Mary Huckle. I'm Jade. I'm here with James. Hi. And Colin. Hello there. And uh, we spoke to Mary about how she started her career in the city and her transition to the fitness industry. We spoke about the benefits of Pilates and her story about being a three-time cancer survivor. We recorded this in the summer, so some of the dates have passed, but it's still a really good listen. Welcome, uh, Mary, to our podcast. Thanks Thank you for, for having me. Thank you. So, uh, Mary, you are a uh, personal trainer, uh, Pilates instructor, uh, three-time cancer survivor, uh, mother, wife, friend, um, and we've gotten to know you quite a lot over the last year because you're quite a, an avid coffee drinker too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're, you have lots of different uh, sides to your character and who you are and what you do. Um, how would you describe yourself? Um, probably quite a strong person, mentally, definitely. I wouldn't say probably physically, but um, a strong person mentally. Um, I get described that way quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm quite resilient, definitely. Um, love sports, quite sporty, obviously, because of my job. Um, Gosh, what else am I? Um, I suppose I'm quite caring in a sort of like nice kind of way. <laughs> um, I'm thoughtful. I just, you know, I think of others as well. So, yeah. But apart from that, I'm not quite sure how others see me. <laughs> it's quite interesting to get other people's feedback. Hmm. Okay, so if we start with maybe kind of your fitness, mm. that, that side of your life first. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be a yeah, good way so to start. I've always like loved fitness. Even when I was at school, I was like a person who would like love PE, you know, ready to sort of, like, you know, get the kit on and get out there. And, uh, you know, very, very different to my peers. Um, but I suppose I was quite lucky because there were, there were a group of us friends and we were all sort of like had that same mindset. We all liked PE and doing sports and things. So we, we tended to be in sort of like, you know, the sports teams for the school and uh, netball I suppose was my forte was goal attack and goal shooter and uh, yeah I know I know and it's like netball it's like it's a good sport (laughs) it's a good one it's a good one it's actually quite interesting and you do have to be quite fit it's not obviously as large as a football pitch or anything like that but you have to be quite quick. So you used to work in the city before so how how did you make that Transition. Transition. So, so basically, I left school. Um, then I worked in the city for about twelve years. Just got went into banking because most people in those days did. Just if you don't know what to do, you can just go into banking. I actually did. I was thinking about going to university, and I actually had um, a couple of spaces at art colleges as well. Um, but I just didn't. I don't know what happened. I just didn't pursue those parts obviously so I went into banking I was there for 12 years I worked for Barclays International as it was called then and it literally just looked like a short walk from Liverpool Street it was great and uh, I had a really good job there I was a, a relationship manager um, for French um, and Italian banks so I used my languages quite a lot because I did sort of like French German <laughs> Italian and RA levels so I was like, you know, quite 
the linguist, I suppose, in those days. So, yeah. yeah, I got to use my languages quite a lot. And it was a really lovely job because it was a lot of whining and dining and sort of like, you know, receiving sort of like overseas guests and yeah. taking them out to lunch and things like that. So, yeah. So anyway, so we already sort of like had Robert, my eldest. <clears throat> and then I wanted to, to leave and just sort of like you know, add to the family, as you do. Mm. And they were very sort of like keen to keep me. They wanted to promote me there and then rather than to like give me redundancy. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to go anywhere else. Because they thought that I was going to just leave the job and just go into another bank. Um, you know, so they were very like, I mean, I, I even ended up seeing the, one of the big wigs um, in the bank. And I was like, no, I had to convince him that I was actually leaving to, to have another baby. So they, they let me go anyway. So um, then we had the twins. So that was really quite um, quite a shock. <laughs> we wanted one and we got two we got buy one get one free um, which was quite interesting uh, but it just yeah it just completed the family family unit for us so then I went back to work for a while locally as another finance house um, and then they moved up to Bolton and I didn't fancy relocating Funnily enough. yeah, yeah I thought, no I don't really fancy that trip so um and I thought, right, okay, this is my chance now. I've always wanted to do the health and fitness thing. I've, I've had an avid interest in this for years and years and years. And, you know, even when I was working at the bank, I'd sort of like make sure that I used the gym and, you know, always working out. And just, it was always there. It was like a natural thing for me. So I just thought, you know, I'm just going to bite the bullet and I'm going to sort of like just retrain. So we had three young children, three youngest children, and I sort of like put the question to Phil, my husband, and he was like, well, you know, I'll support you, whatever it takes. And it was tough because, you know, I, I did sort of like get another sort of like little part-time job. Um, but I, I was basically studying at the weekends and in the evenings, waiting until the kids were in bed and then just working through the, through the night, really, not getting to bed sort of maybe sort of like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. You know, studying for this like um, when it was my fir my first exam was my exercise to music exam, which I know sounds really sort of like really wussy, <laughs> but it's like isn't that just dancing? Yeah, <laughs> sort of like sort of like, but it actually opens the doors to quite a few sort of like classes and things. But and it gives you a, a good qualification. It's quite a good grounding, but it is it's basically listening to sort of like you know CDs. Mm. Um, in those days, uh, quite a lot, and just sort of like getting your moves right and getting the whatever, and then um, I did all my PT stuff as well, so it was the same thing, and I, I financially it was quite difficult for us, you know, with three young children, especially with twins, because everything, you, you're paying for double of everything, you know, even the nappies were like, just extortionate, um, you know, you'd sort of like, you'd, you could sit, like, see us come in, you know, <laughs> we, used to go, we used to go shopping in Safeway, which was the oh, yeah. um, Morrison's, and, um, you know, we, we went there because we could actually find twin trolleys and they had massive aisles. So it was great. So the twins couldn't sort of like grab things off the shelves as well as we went down the aisle. So we used to shop quite regularly in Safeway, but our trolleys were quite often just full of nappies and nothing else. Um, yeah, so basically just backtracking there a little bit. But, um, yeah, so I retrained and um, I think it's sort of like, you know, it took... God, it was about, I suppose it was about, about one and a half years before I sort of got all my, my, you know, all my exercise to music and all my PT modules. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and it cost thousands, you know, so I thought, God, no, I'm done, I've done this now. I need to get on with it. So that was the, that was how I sort of like transitioned really from sort of like doing office 
office work to um, you so know, when to did, in. When, sorry, when did the <coughs> Pilates come into it? <clears throat> so the Pilates came into it after I was, after I recovered from the breast cancer. Right. Because once I, I'd had the breast cancer diagnosis and I'd had the, the surgery and the chemotherapy and everything else that came with that, I, I, I thought, I, can I go back to doing PT work? You know, can I go back to teaching classes and, you know, jumping around and would I, will I have the energy that I had before? And so I was quite worried. And I just, I'd, I'd done lots of research on Pilates and, and I was first introduced to it actually by my, by my sister, the middle sister, Jana. And she'd sort of like, she'd been doing Pilates in the States for quite a few years. And I don't know what, we'd seen her sort of like one year and then the next year she came back and she had like washboard abs <laughs> and I was like what has happened to you what have you been doing and she's like god I've just discovered Pilates and we were like what the hell is that you know it just we, we didn't really know much, know much about it mm. it was very sort of like new in in the UK um and that was like in 2000 sort of like 9 2010 um so I thought you know if I, if I can't do the PT stuff let me just add another string to my bow let's just do something a little bit more you know, sort of like what I thought then was quite calm and, you know, an easy, easier thing to do. Um, yeah, so that's how so I got into say, Pilates. you'd say it isn't an easy <clears throat> thing to do? No, if it's, if Pilates, if someone goes to Pilates class and they think it's easy, then it's not Pilates. Right. And so you, in your classes, you take men, women of all ages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, come, it's becoming a very popular form of exercise. We actually call it intelligent exercise you're sort of like working you know from the inside out and it's like a, it's a bit like yoga it's a mind body discipline as well so you have to really concentrate and um, it's all about stabilizing certain parts of your body mainly your core whilst you sort of like move other parts of your body and that sounds really weird <laughs> and there's like an element of, of breath as well and the breath is what really throws people at first they find it quite difficult to get that breath thing going I know Colin's been to yeah. one of my classes and <clears throat> and I suppose it's about depends you know who's in my class and how difficult it, it you know I make it as well so if you're a beginner if I wanted to go on one of your classes or courses mm. where can I do that yeah you can you can come along to like um, the play studio in Bushell Park and I've got a beginner course actually running in September and, and the nice thing about that is that everyone comes along and they're all in the same boat. Um, they're all complete beginners. Um, I used to do mixed ability classes, but I don't do that anymore. I think it's just nicer for people to come along and not feel like they're fish out of water. You know, if, if you're a beginner, you're in a beginner's, you know, in a beginner's class. If you're an improver or intermediate, then you can come along and, you know, you're in that, you know, with that, with that group of people. Because I think with I think with mixed ability, it's probably hard for people who have been doing it for a while and kind of oh, know yeah. and, and know how Definitely, to do it yeah. to then essentially be held back. Exactly, you know? and also exactly. hard. Where do you pitch your your uh, your class? I, I know, and that's different. that's the trouble, and mm. that's what I'm, and so I, that's why I stopped doing the mixed ability classes. Mm. I actually still teach a mixed ability class at David Lloyd. Um, but the, the numbers are quite large. I mean, I've got like there are about twenty two people in that class, which personally I think is too is too large a number for a Pilates class. And you know, we have that issue. We have that thing where ev anyone and everyone can come along. And you know, so I've got regulars that've been coming to my that class for years and years and years because they can only make that particular class. 
but then every time we have new people come along, which is great, but then they quite often come along with like back problems or, you know, some sort of postural issue, you know, and they basically need one-to-one, you know, they shouldn't be in a class environment and it's, and it's, and it holds the regulars back. So it's quite frustrating. And are there, are there classes that you run on your own? Because I think it's probably, I would assume it's like when you, when you have a class of children, so, you know, like one teacher to, mm. was it 12, I think, is like the government regulated. So is it like similar in the sense that in a classes class you can do, mm. realistically to do a good class, you do one to like, what, 12? Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly, that is my number. That right. is my maximum that I take in the Bushill Park class. The David Lloyd one, I don't have any sort of like any control over that one. It's actually a, a, a borough of Enfield class. It's a it's a council one class. But you know, I mean, there are the leisure centres, and I'm not really sort of like having a go at them. But I used to cover the leisure centre classes, and I'd walk in, and there would be thirty to forty people in one class. And as an instructor, it's so difficult to sort of like keep your eye on everybody. Mm. And some of the moves, and Colin can sort of like probably vouch for this, mm. but some of the moves are quite. Um, they're not difficult, but they're actually they can be they can be quite um, difficult for people that have postural problems, <clears throat> and um, you know you know you wouldn't sort of like want people just to sort of like do those sorts of exercises without some sort of like discussion with them prior or before the class, or especially if you're a beginner and you've got no kind of experience. Yeah, exactly. You don't and want now, to yourself, that's you? right. And the thing is, it's like nowadays. I mean, I've got actually got I've actually got three GPs that come to my Bushill Park class. And that's really a good testament, actually, of how Pilates is, is sort of like really growing in, in popularity. And it's just it's being recommended now by GPs, by physiotherapists, by osteopaths. And I get quite a few recommendations, actually, from, from chiropractors and osteopaths and physios and, you know, such likes. So, it's, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's good. Mm. You know, and, it's, it's, um, and also men have this thing about... Pilates, it's like, God, I see it as like a woman's, a woman, woman only sort of like club, you know, and it's not like that at all. And That's the perception, isn't it? It is yeah, a perception, I yeah. Sure why, and I do have men that come along and quite often there might be sort of like one or two men and the rest are, are actually women. Um, but um, <clears throat> it's really good for men to do Pilates because men seem to think that it's okay just to go out and do like Lots of like insanity and lots of weightlifting and yeah, you know, sort of really heavy weights and and maybe they like doing sort of like cycling or playing golf and whatever or even running and Pilates complements all of those all of those things and men quite often have a problem with their alignment um, with muscle alignment and with joint alignment so you know it's good for men to like get those get those things sorted out and. I suppose for Pilates, it's kind of to get more guys involved. You just try to get over that stigma. Like, um, who is it? There's someone I know. He made a joke. It's like, oh, what did you do Pilates for? It's like posh stretching. Yeah, <laughs> that was his yes. uh, comment. <clears throat> so you yeah. should give it a go and see what it's like. Yeah, no, definitely. It's good. And it's only good. through regular practice that you actually just reap those benefits as well. Quite often, people come along and they might do sort of like one or two classes, and they'll think, oh. It's a bit slow for me, <laughs> or whatever, and they'll go back to doing insanity or whatever. But you know, it's you know, it's, it's fine. I love all that stuff as well, I like getting hot and sweaty and whatever, and doing all that jumping around stuff. But I just think that you need to sort of just some, sometimes just you know tone things down a little bit and just 
mm-hmm. uh, sure. and just take it easy, a little bit easier. And just and also Pilates gives you a lot of body awareness, like no other exercise will. Maybe yoga. I'm not going to because I love yoga as well. Mm. I do yoga once a week and I love it. <clears throat> but um, Pilates just gives you like I just find it a little bit more functional, um, and it gives you so much body awareness. And people come along and they just like they're just really they become quite intrigued with what their bodies can, can and, and can't do. And if you have any sort of like imbalances in your muscles or weaknesses and strengths, and Pilates really shows those up, and it gives you like. Um, uh, an idea of ha- what to work on. Yeah, we can probably but... add some kind of link to your <clears throat> website. Yeah. In case yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, you know, I mean, David Beckham does Pilates. There you go. Hey, I, know that, I know that for a fact. I know that for a fact. You know, <laughs> I know there are know footballers, yeah. rugby teams, cr- cricket teams. You know, it's not just like... Um, it's not a woman thing, only a woman yeah, thing. It's just like anyone can do it. There's the... Uh, Man United uh, strike. Well, who was that Italian striker that got injured when he was really young? Rossi, is it? Mm. Oh, there was an article exactly. recently, and he was saying how Ryan Giggs used to do, I think, yoga and Pilates, yeah. and he was like, "Why is he doing that?" And then he's playing football until he's almost forty. Yeah. He's like, oh, he hit forty. He hit forty, but they can, yeah. because of things like that, like the alignment. He accredited of... it to yoga and Pilates. Mm. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. People, I mean, people come up to me and they're like, they're like, you know, are you sure you can? You need to take. To, you know, two and a bit weeks off work because I need to come along every week. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I really do need to break. It's like, <laughs> but people swear by it. You know, people avoid surgery, back surgery with it. And <clears throat> I mean, I could talk about Pilates all day long, you know, literally, mm-hmm. but um, I don't want to sort of like bore people with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, that's, I think... I, I just, you know, the PT stuff is like another one of my passions. Yeah. But, um, personal training, but... You know, the good thing is, is I can sort of like offer my clients the best of both worlds. Mm. So I feel quite, I feel like quite lucky in that respect. Mm. So when you, and again, this is like a, <clears throat> we like a backtrack on the podcast. So yeah, <laughs> we're no, going to go back a tiny bit just to the beginning. Um, <clears throat> when, when you, when you kind of done all your uh, exams and mm. like, you, know, you have all the knowledge, but you're about to step into passing that knowledge on and be able to kind of teach yeah. people and take classes and stuff like that did you did did you kind of leverage friends and family or did you already have like contacts to say right i'm going to do a class here and suddenly i have 12 people in my class ready to go yeah basically what, what i did first i actually went into um a gym that was my first port of call <clears throat> and i hated it <laughs> Um, just, I didn't actually hate what was in the gym or the people that were there. It was just the fact that I was inside all the time. And, you know, it, it was, it can get quite monotonous when you're sort of like a fitness instructor or a, a PT working in a gym and you've got like, you know, just like a, you know, eight clients back to back. And, you know, you, I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but you've probably seen those PTs in the gym and they're sort of like clock watching, mm-hmm. you know, they've got their client on the treadmill, it's like, you know, give me 20 minutes on the treadmill and they're just sort of like standing there, you know, like <laughs> looking around, you know, whatever. And it was, it's a bit like that and, you know, and that's what, that's what it does to you. So anyway, so I just, I did, I, I think I did about six months in a gym and, uh, and I just thought, you know, what, I've got to go freelance. I need. I can do better than this. I can do more with my life, mm. 
So um, I set up classes and I set up circuits and um, legs, buns and tums. They were my, they were my first classes that I set up. And I just went to sort of like family and friends. And you know, so I think, I don't know, I just, it was just flyers. You know, it was, we're talking, we're going back to sort of like 2000, sort of like five, 2006. And that was the way that I got my clients, just, just sort of like flyers through letterboxes, you know. Mm. You know, it's sort of like getting sore hands, you know, sort of like shoving stuff <laughs> through the letterboxes, you know, like running away from dogs and things like <laughs> running up the bloody path. That's the worst thing to Honestly, that's what I, dropping, isn't it? It's, it, mm. it really is. I just thought I can do this. Treacherous. I feel sorry for postman, yeah. I'm telling you, because it's it's true, because you as soon as you put your hand with that letterbox, <laughs> like there's guaranteed that you're gonna get at least one dog down one of those roads. So let's be quick. <laughs> yeah. In and up. <laughs> And the worst ones are the ones with like those like brush type things. Yeah. You know, you've got these lovely leaflets, and you've got to sort of like screw it up and just like you know get it in there quick. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I did a lot of leaflet dropping. Um, went into like local shops and whatever, and just sort of like you know, can I just put my leaflet up and whatever? And, yeah, so it was a little bit like that. Um, but yeah, the, so the, clerk, the the numbers built up, and that was. Um, but then when I did the with PT stuff as well, then it, of course it was again it was like with family and friends and you just get just word getting round and yeah. I've been quite fortunate that I've I've got lots of um business through recommendations. I haven't really had to do a lots you know, lots of marketing and advertising and whatever. Um, but you do but, you, know, you write a blog and this was another thing you uh, you recently <clears> wrote an article about dieting and Yeah. I really liked that because of the way you framed uh, the word dieting, or how we frame the word dieting. Yeah, um, yeah that's like, I, think, I think it was called Ten Reasons Why You Need to Stop Dieting. And you know, and it was like this this word diet is just like, it just gets on my nerves. You know, it's just, even when you sort of like use the word diet with clients, it's like it just conjures up all these like, you know, Atkins, I don't know, Herbalife, you know, Keto, Paleo, all these different things that like just come up into your mind. And, you know, it's just, um, it is, it's just like, it's just the way that you use the word, you know, and I just hate the thought, the thought that people are just, and it's, and it's women mostly that, you know, they just spend their lives dieting. And, I, would, um, I would say it's getting, um, and this has been probably for the past few years, that it's definitely getting, becoming more of a problem amongst men as well. Like that kind of yeah. thing of like body image and, and, and sticking to the diet and de- trying definitely. to, you know, trying to be, well, no, look as fit as they can be yeah. and not necessarily actually being fit in a wholesome way. Exactly. Mm, you know. And eating disorders actually amongst men is on the rise, yeah. which is really surprising. Um, but it is, I suppose it's like, you know, social media doesn't help because we get onto social media and we all we all aspire to be somebody that we've seen on there. And, mm. you know, it's just that, that that's just not real life. And I think that's what, you know, that's where I, you know, that's where I sort of like come from as well, I think. And hopefully I can, you know, I do, I am relatable. Um, I'm not out there sort of like showing off my six pack and, you know, my perky bottom and things like that. I'm just like out there trying to make people feel better in themselves and and give them confidence, I suppose, really, because that's so important. Mm. Because the more you see on social media, the less confidence you have. And, you know, it's... um, I think think it's interesting, and I... I kind of I more give the perspective from obviously from a male side, but when you you know you see people like The Rock or you see uh, you know people who are like huge 
people. They're, they're you know, they're extru- mm. they're they're building their muscle to a point which is like, I will never achieve that. Yeah. I'm not, and I, I and personally, I wouldn't aim to achieve that. But the good thing about the rock for me is that he will show that he's up at three a.m. in the morning, yeah. uh, in the gym, and you'll see his, and he shows what he's the the amount of time and effort he has to put in, yeah, definitely to achieve that body. Yeah. So it's not just him posting up pictures of himself, you know, looking amazing and jumping out of burning buildings and yeah, and all that right. kind of stuff. It is he really does show the the hard work, and that's on his Instagram page for everyone to see. So no one can. If you aspire to be like him, you know for a fact mm. he he has put the hard work in, so that you have to put the hard work in. But there yeah. are plenty of Instagram accounts that I that I don't want to say I follow, but they kind of come up for me to to look at um, that just show that person as if that they've just appeared in that way, like with an amazing body mm. and you know kind of drinking just protein shakes. You're like, well, yeah. Yeah. there is hard work it's to crazy. get to that point. Of course, you know? there is. Yeah, definitely. It's just it's just mad, isn't it? I just think I think nowadays as well, we're, we're, everyone's so stressed out. We live in a fast-paced um, society. You know, it's not like it was years ago. And I just think you just need to sort of like think about your. Um, uh, yeah, it's just all about. Like, and I hate using the word functional fitness, but I think as we get older, it's something that we should consider more. It's like you know, what can we do, and what can we sort of like just keep working with, and what can we just sort of like carry on with that's good for, you know, us or, or me as an individual <clears throat> rather than looking at all these people on Instagram and just you well, know, in, trying in, to be like that. You, <laughs> you know, when you think about what is what is the use of me being able to bench press, not that I can, mm. <laughs> bench press like 300 pounds, what, am I going to lift a car? Like, yeah. what's the point? You know, in, in that sense, like really, what is, what, how useful is that yeah. to exactly. my day-to-day life? It's probably more <clears throat> useful being able to, you know, bend from my <laughs> hips yeah. down to lift my child up on the floor you know it's just it's better to be able to do have that kind of functional movement rather than being exactly up, you've you hit know? the nail right on the head there mm. jay because it's like you know um that's what it's about and that's why and that's why i do actually um just i'm going to go back to that pilates sure. thing that's why i love pilates because it actually makes you understand your body a lot more so the postural issues I mean I I can look at people's postures and I because we did we as part of my training I did posture analysis and um it's becoming quite a big thing now posture analysis and like I can see that everyone's sit up straight because she's uh, yeah. similar sort of background so she's always telling me stop slouching stop. yeah and then you know it's like <laughs> And, you know, I, I get people refer to me. <laughs> but um, everyone's like, yeah, sit up straight, boys. Come on, sit up straight. <laughs> Chest and chin lifted. <laughs> um, <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> sit back into your seat. Um, a lot of it is just it's just slouching. Mm. We just love to slouch, don't we? You know, you just thought you get so in. Easy. You're knackered from work. You've done a hard day's work. You get in and you just want to slouch. You don't want to sort of sit up straight and whatever. But, but it, you know, it's the postural issues are one of the main things <laughs> that will be um, will trouble you in later mm-hmm. life. And do you think it's it's something that's going to, you know, obviously with with like mobile phones, like you don't hold them up there and exactly like that. you, you yeah. hold them in your in oh your my lap gosh, yeah. and you're kind of down like that for a lot of time. So I guess there's probably a lot of stress yeah. on your like neck yep on as your well, cervical right? spine on right. the neck. And, you know, that's what really bugs me about the kids nowadays as well. 
because like they're all looking we're just as bad but the mm. kids that are gonna they're gonna they're gonna they're growing up with this stuff mm. so we've had a little bit of reprieve because we've we've had this thing come later in life mm. but they're literally on their devices and looking down they're not exercising they're looking down at the devices <laughs> i i just I, yeah i just hate to think what they're going to be like you know, and sort of like, you know, an, an, an eight-year-old today, yeah. what that eight-year-old is going to be like in like 20 years' time. Um, and it is quite worrying. It's quite Mind worrying. you, I think there's, it's, it's going to come, not full circle, but you're going to have, <clears throat> so Jade and I are both parents to young children, and we're kind of aware of, of that. So hopefully you'll get people who'll say, oh, come on, you've had yeah. half an hour on that device. And, yeah, and I would and I would say that even like so I I get the opportunity to speak to like a few young people. It's just because of the the job that I do, um, but they aren't as attached as like they're not as attached as as attached as I am, and they don't use it in the same way. Um, they're kind of phones and social media, so they're not actually they you know they're not like sitting there watching an entire episode of a program like like that down on their on their device mm. they'll kind of they will watch it on a on a tv or on a computer screen where they're a bit more you know eye level straight yeah. on the screen um and it's been it's really interesting seeing how like young people have changed the way they are like they're not they're not the same as you know we are on social media not the same as we are in how we use our phones um, they're actually a little bit seemingly a little less attached and they're not going for you know, all singing or dancing phones, they're going for phones that just make calls and, you know, can maybe do a little bit of social media, but, you know, not like us where we're like, I need the best camera, I need the, mm. you know, I need the thing that does absolutely everything because it needs to do stuff for work as well as everything else. Then it, it's actually going, as far as I can tell, it's going the other way where things yeah. are getting a little bit simpler as to what they want yeah, their lives to do. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope that continues. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's all about yeah, about posture and and doing what you can do in fitness and as long as you feel good, um, and that and that's that's the main thing. But one thing that I will say and that, and it does bug me is that now we're sort of like getting to the point where you know and you get the, again we're going back to that Instagram thing and there are actually loads of accounts now where people are normalising like obesity. Yeah. I know it's a bit controversial. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit right. controversial. Um, but you know, that's wrong. That is wrong. You know, because okay, so, so, so in what way? Because there are people out there that are, you know, they are you, you 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 can tell they're not healthy, but they're making out that they are, you know, because and but they're they're just too they're just too big. And you they might feel like they are they're actually quite healthy, but you know, they're probably their visceral fat is probably quite scary mm. we're talking about long-term fitness long-term health mm. and people that normalize obesity i just i don't agree with it and i know it's gonna cheese people off a little bit but i just don't agree with it uh, i'm sorry I'll be honest <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna jump in the trenches with you on that one because i do i there is there is but it, it's something that's been coming for a long time i don't think it's particularly new that kind of normalization yeah. of mm. or maybe Maybe I guess normalisation is, yeah, it's sort of right, but it's more not making people feel bad about being overweight. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort, I think it's sort of linked in with that, that yeah. kind of P, PC idea, that kind of political correctness, trying not to 
mm. essentially hurt people's feelings by saying something that's not particularly nice. Um, but it is something that needs to be said. You know, if yeah. someone is, is overweight, it, it is bad for your health. That hasn't changed. Um, and it's, I'm not sure why, mm. I'm not sure why it isn't something that's addressed. Because obesity is a problem. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a fact. It's, it's a huge problem. It's a massive problem. You know, type 2 diabetes, again, is on the rise. Mm. You know, and it's, and it's very prevalent amongst primary school children. Mm. I mean, that is just ridiculous because that child will go through life. And, you know, it's hard to lose weight as well. Once you start putting on the weight, it's actually quite difficult to lose it. But for, for children, would you not put... I always do anyway. I always put the blame on parents. If... A child is 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 obese. Mm-hmm. I'm not it's saying true. if they, I'm not saying if they've got a thyroid problem, obviously. No, no, no. But that aside, it is it is tricky. With, I mean, food. Yes, we've got lots of options, but there are McDonald's. It's it's huge. They've got uh, a bottomless pit of money they can mm-hmm. spend on advertising. Um, it's cheap. It's it's difficult. It's difficult. I don't get me wrong, I don't feed uh, my kids McDonald's, but I gave my kid uh, pizza yesterday because he eats it. Like, don't get me wrong, Mm. the ideal would be he'd be eating his broccoli and carrots and... Yeah, but this this is within, it's it's within reason though, right? Yeah. It's not like they're eating that every single day with no other thing. You know, you're allowed, you can have McDonald's, but just be measured with it, you know? Mm -hmm. The other kind of flip side of that would be you go into a supermarket, what's cheap, what's mm. uh, fulfilling. You'll see people buying, for example, hot cross buns. They're stodgy, they're probably not great for you. But they're for, what, less than a pound for a pack of six? Yeah. Or you can buy that salad for mm. two pounds. You yeah. know, I'm just saying not everyone has got the option of um, being able to buy fresh, organic mm. Um, yeah. I'm just saying it can be tricky for, for some it is difficult for adults definitely because again you've got that thing that you've got that you know that everyone's stressed out everyone's rushed you know it's convenient you know the convenience foods are there and there are more convenience foods than ever before now um, and, and it's just so easy to pick up something that you know that the kids are, you know the kids are going to eat it it's not going to cause any issues you know um, but, it, but it's it's that thing again, isn't it? It's that the time, mm. you know, the, the thought process that goes into sort of like what we what, what we feed our children, you know. And I do a sort of like I do agree with you, Jay, that I think a, a lot of it does. It is the parents' responsibility. If your child is underage, if your child is with living with you, then surely you have got that control. You've got mm. an element of control over that child mm. and what they're eating. Mm. You know, there's no reason why a child is you know is being diagnosed with type two diabetes. Mm at a really young age I mean, this is this is serious stuff um and it needs to be addressed and i know that the um i know that public health england um have been talking about introducing them the the um the daily mile across uk schools which is a good thing you know why not you know unless that child has some sort of like problem with you know running or whatever or walking then they should be doing exercise every day you know, the, the guidelines say that kids should be getting a lot more exercise than they do. Mm. And introducing the daily mile across, you know, in all, in all schools is, is a brilliant thing. And that's just one way of tackling the, the problem that we have. I mean, as I, as I, 
obviously I haven't been at school for a little while, so <laughs> it, may, it may have changed in this time. But um, I remember from when I when I was at school, it was I think we had maybe two like PE sessions, two or three PE sessions a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was up until I was I finished my I think it was up until GCSEs, and then after that, that was it. There was no, there was no, there wasn't a case of oh, here's a period of PE. You're, no, you're, done, you're not studying exactly, it, so yeah. it's finished. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it should be something that is ongoing, so that it becomes part of your, you know, yeah. part of your experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, your life. It should so be part of your life. Yeah. It should be priority. And an exercise, unfortunately, is not at the top of people's, you know, generally mm. people's list. It's it's always at the bottom. And I've, and even in schools, you know, if like. If there's a subject that has to be dropped, it will always be PE, mm-hmm. you know, because it's so convenient to drop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, yeah, where do we go with that? Our bodies are made to move. Mm-hmm. So come on, let's keep moving them. <laughs> let's just, like, do something with them. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs at the moment. It, it is sad. Um, but hopefully things will change in the very near future. Mm-hmm. Yes. But as parents, we do have a responsibility. For sure. For sure. (laughs) There are like good good things going on as well. That like uh, the park run, for example. Uh, I used to do one Mm -hmm. a couple years back, and there were loads of kids doing it. Yeah. And I was just like, this is you know this is great. They they loved the kind of uh, the competitive edge as well, getting their time, and it was completely free. Yeah. Exactly. I think there are there are things that are being done, but. I do still, I mean, going around Enfield, I do still see, like, loads of kids on bikes, which is like, I'm like, yes, come yes. on, kids, get on bikes. Even if it is them doing wheelies for, like, a mile down the road, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's fine. <laughs> That's good for that. It's really good. Yeah. No, it's just, no, it's, it is, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, you know, and as parents, we can just take them out, can't we? Come yeah. on, kids. Yeah. Let's get ready. Let's just go out for a long walk or something, yeah. you know. Which we, And, you know, and I think it's like, we need to just stop and think. Mm. Just stop, you know, and think about what what is happening mm. to the kids nowadays. I, do, I think that like that stop and think uh, mentality is definitely something that I've done a lot more since having a uh, a child. And my daughter's uh, three next month, and I I kind of regularly stop and go like, okay, what more can I do? What else do I need? What what should I keep? what should I bring into the mm. routine am I getting stale because it's re- it's so easy to hit a routine yeah that's not necessarily good but mm-hmm. you have the routine and you kind of stick to it and you keep repeating it uh so we like to, both of us and me and my girlfriend we like to kind of reassess and kind of say right you know do we are we going to take should we go swimming or you know on a Sunday should we go and run in the park or play in the park in the morning and we try and like implement try and keep like changing things and try and keep looking at what we're doing, see if we can improve it. Because mm. otherwise, you know, like mm. the time will fly and you realise yeah. it's ten years on. Exactly. And, you know, she's a beast and you're <laughs> you're fighting a losing battle. You know? Complacency, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's and it's like, but it's it's really easy. Yeah. I think that's the key thing as well. It's like it's 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 easy to bash to bash parents for taking the easy route. But it's really difficult to do that. It's really mm-hmm. difficult to kind of say, hang on a sec, what am I doing? Because you still need time to actually have that thought process. Yeah, of course. You know, no, like definitely. in between feeding them, making sure they're still alive. Like, it, 
They're hard work. work. Kids yeah. are hard work. Yeah. They it's are. Not easy. They're hard work. And then they get to sort of like teenage years <laughs> and then they're off your hands. You haven't got that control anymore. And, you know, and then it's even nice because then they're going down to like the, you know, the Dixie fried chicken yeah. at lunch times and things like that. Or the, you see, know, this is what so I was saying. Bad, like there is some responsibility or accountability with those places, supermarkets. Like I know. That, I just, that kind of part of it as well. Exactly, but it's how, how do we target them as well, isn't it? Like, we look at cereals like all cartoon pictures and yeah. the amount of sugar and, and stuff that they plough into. Yeah, that's right. It's just um, I don't know. There should be there should be you know the regulation should be stricter. Definitely, mm. the government should start introducing you know stricter regulations when it comes to food and drink. They um, they are with the sugar tax, aren't they? That, that, that's that's happened, and that's why there are certain products which have gone up in price. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a deterrent, though. I just don't think that's a, a, a that's enough of a deterrent. It probably it, it might not be in a way. It might not be a deterrent for people buying it, but it would be a deterrent for supermarkets buying it because it's more mm. expensive for them to purchase it. Yeah. And if people are if there is like an active campaign against you know drinking these super sugary drinks, which there is. Like the awareness of people about drinking, you know, things like Coke or other cola beverages uh, with like sugar in it. That's, mm. you know, there is, there are active campaigns. People know that it's got a load of sugar in it. Uh, so they might try and drink a less sugary uh, drink. So it's taking away a little bit of profit from that side. So what would be the point in the supermarket buying the, the more expensive? Mm. Yeah, I suppose there's that, there is that side I think that's, to it. I think there's a double edge to it. Yeah, if I had my way, I'd have like a skull and crossbones <laughs> along the aisles in the supermarkets. Well, that, like, like they do with cigarettes. Yeah, I was just about to you, say, cigarette packets there and people exactly. still smoke like... Exactly, and if you so, see those the pictures on those cigarette packets, really are quite shocking. People still buy them. Mm-hmm. They still buy them because that's what they want to do. You know, it's just like... At least in know. that sense, that extra money they're charging, they could plough it into the NHS yeah. to kind of to balance some of it although you just want to avoid it yeah mm. i just yeah weekend. i know it's just crazy i just do hope that things you know the, the the tables are turning i just hope that you know we do start to realize that actually things the way that they're going are not good because it's and that's why it's always good to think back to like how we used to shop you know we used to have the mm. grocer we used to have the butcher we used to have the the baker you know, and I'm sort of like probably, you know, don't relate to a lot of people now, but but it was a great way to shop. You know, you'd go to the market on a Saturday morning with your, with your mum and, you know, you'd bowl the fresh stuff and it was like you you, you actually enjoyed cooking. Um, you know, the supermarkets killed all of that. But I think to a certain extent we are going back to that. Mm. You know, I, we, you know, we love going sort of like to the butchers and buying the meat. We love going to the, to the you know, to the, to the whatever it is and... To the whole white, hope what I'm gonna say, Holt whites, yeah, Holt whites bakery and buying the, the bread, or, or, or coming here to Stanton's and buying the bread, or you know, the you know, the 40 Hall farm mm-hmm. are doing this, like you know, the organic stuff now. It's great, it's just that's what that's what it should be like, mm-hmm. and that you know, we just don't see enough of it. But hopefully, we're gonna sort of like go back to those to those days where yeah, that thing that things will change. I don't know, we'll see. wait and see. If we could, I'm not sure even how to approach the subject of uh, your battles mm. with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit of your story. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, um, so it was like in August 2007, 
I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, it was a bit of a shock because I was probably at the at the peak of my fitness when I was diagnosed. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I didn't smoke. I don't, I didn't drink um, it, it healthily. So I don't know why this came along, but it did. Uh, and it basically just, yeah, it just changed everything. It was a complete game changer um, for my life and for my family, basically. Um, so anyway, so I just I went through all the all the sort of all the motions, and I had um, a mastectomy. I had six months of chemotherapy, um, and then I had five years on a drug called tamoxifen, which is like a hormone inhibitor. Um, and you know, but in that time, and here's where I, when I go back to all that sort of like, you know keeping fit stuff. <laughs> Even when I was having chemotherapy, I was going to sort of like classes. You know, just doing what I could do, and and I and I, you know, I'd go to sort of like Southbury Leisure Centre and do classes there, and you know, I knew that I probably couldn't do the entire class, and I'd have to sort of like sit out halfway through or whatever. But that was fine, you know, as long as the instructor knew what was going on, and and you know, I'd sort of like, I'd, I'd always sort of like tell them what was going on, and but I knew that I was just doing something, and it was all part of my sort of like you know the road to recovery. And it, it just kept me mentally strong as well, as physically strong. And, you know, I'd go out running when I could. And, you know, I mean, I used to sort of like wear, wear a wig as well. But, you know, I just used to sort of take the wig off and just sort of like put a, you know, like a scarf on or something and just, you know, go out running. And, I've got, and I even now I sort of remember the days when I used to sort of go out and it was like snow outside and I'd go out running and it would be like myself, um, my husband Phil and my sister um, Sylve, my little sister, and her husband, and we'd sort of like we'd all go out running together, and it would just be like, you know, because when you're having chemotherapy, your cardiovascular system is quite compromised, your heart and lungs just don't work the same. Um, but you know, I just do whatever I could. So that was my first diagnosis, and I had, I went back to sort of like, you know, I took about about a year and a half out of my work. And it was that 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 was one of the worst things about it because I'd built my business up to a certain point, and you know, I, okay. So people say to me, "Why didn't you carry on working?" Because I was having sort of like chemotherapy every three weeks, so I had like a week where I knew that I'd feel really bad after the chemo, but then sort of the next two weeks I didn't wouldn't feel too bad. But then I would be ready for my next cycle, um, and you know, when you've got clients and you're you know you're sort of like running with them. Doing sort of like high impact stuff with them, I thought, you know what, it's not going to be fair on my clients. I, you know, I could be feeling good one day, but then I could be feeling really rubbish the next. So I thought, you know what, let me just concentrate on getting myself better. Let me just sort of like take a complete break, but sort of like just keep sort of like you know keep my you know keep sort of like my fingers in the sort of like what, I don't know what, what's the expression. But just keep my keep dipping my toes in stuff, and I kept doing the research and whatever, and I kept thinking about the day that I could go back to doing my work. That's all I kept thinking about: get myself fit and go back to work. And um, that's what I did. So I rebuilt the business, and that was tough. But I just did it. I did it, and then I had the Pilates, the extra strings of my bow as well. So I started up classes as well. They went down really well. And to cut a long story short, I had seven years where I had no problems at all. I just had regular checkups and I thought, this is it. This is like a glitch in my life. And 
I am just sort of like, you know, flying, you know, and, you know, the when you asked me at the beginning what I, what I think about myself and how I see myself, it's just, you know, the breast cancer, although it's been a, a really bad thing, it's also been a really good thing in the fact that it's just made me grow in so many ways I probably would never have grown otherwise. And that sounds really weird and twisted, but that's just the way that it is. And just, you, you know, you can talk to anybody with with chronic illnesses or whatever, and it's almost like their eyes are opened. Mm. So you do think differently. You do have a different perspective on life. So it made me a stronger person, much more resilient. So seven years of no problems at all. And then um, in 2014, I was having like a regular checkup with my oncologist, and he found a, um, a, a lump behind my collarbone. And, you know, I just think, God, if, if I'm quite skinny up top, so I just think he actually found it because I'm really quite sort of like slim. And he actually said that I probably would never have found it had you been sort of like quite a, a lot larger. I probably would never have felt it. Anyway, I had all the tests and things, and it's sort of like, you know, yes, you know, it, it basically was a second diagnosis. So I had a, I was having quite a few PET scans at the time, and they found that the cancer had spread, and it's basically called the mammary chain. And it's quite an, an unusual place for the cancer to spread to. I had all my, when I had the mastectomy, I had all my lymph nodes taken out of my right side. Mm. So they took them out as a precautionary thing. And because I was only sort of like 41 when I was diagnosed, they were like, you know, you're quite young. Let's give you the best possible chance here. Let's take all your lymph nodes out. But, you know, it was quite debilitating having all those lymph nodes taken out. When I woke up after the operation, I couldn't even lift my arm off the bed. And at first I thought, God, they've ruined me. How am I, I going to go back to work? Mm. Um, but having those lymph nodes taken out was supposed to be like a precautionary thing. Anyway, so the, the big C found its way into the mammary chain and it came back into my chest wall and into my sort of like collarbones. I mean, if you probably know that you're, we have lymph nodes all over our, our body. So when it goes into the, once it sort of like goes into the lymphatic system, then it's not very good because it can sort of like work its way around the body. So anyway, so I was diagnosed now with what they call secondary incurable metastatic breast cancer. So, you know, so, you know, gosh, I mean, I had like a, a life-changing first diagnosis. Now I've got like a, a second life-changing, life-threatening, you know, maybe sort of like, you know, life-shortening diagnosis. And at the time when you're diagnosed, you never you never know what you're dealing with. You never know whether you're going to see the next Christmas, whether you're going to sort of like you see your kids grow up. It's just, it, it is just, I can't explain to you what it feels like, but it's just, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough thing to deal with. And, you know, until you ha you're given that sort of like that new treatment regime, you don't know what you're dealing with, and yeah, so that was that really. And luckily, it would be it being caught early. So then I had more surgery. Um, I had two lots of surgery. Then I had radiotherapy as well. Um, and then I get and then I get put on another sort of like another load of treatment. And I actually one of the surgeries actually sort of like plunged me into my menopause as well which is like another load of stuff that I had to deal with because then you've got like another plethora of side effects that you're dealing with. And so not just not just the drugs 
and the stuff that you've had in the past and the stuff that you're taking now again but the menopause also just has lots of other effects you know I know it sounds like a really like, like an old, old ladies thing but lots of young women actually have to go through the menopause because of you know types of cancer it's, re it's a really sad thing um so yeah so then I was on lo another load of drugs and again you know sort of like and but but the, on the second diagnosis I was absolutely determined not to lose my business again so I carried on working to you know as much as I could you know I thought like I taught classes just sitting and visually queuing you know class participants and you know, I did my PT work and, and just sort of like said, look, you know, guys, I can't actually maybe run with you or I can't sort of like jump around with you or do stuff with you, but I can talk you through stuff, you know what you're doing. So it was all a bit like that, but I got through it, you know, and I kept the business going. And that was for about, um, yeah, for about 2014. Yeah, so four years, for about four years. But, you know, sort of like between 2014 and 2018, when I had my third diagnosis, I was like having checkups quite regularly. And um, I was having basically blood tests every four months and checkups with my unconscious every four months. Um, so in January 2018, I had my third diagnosis. So, you know, four months prior, I had no, there, was, there were no signs of a reoccurrence so the blood test showed nothing you know all good and yet in January of 2018 the the tumor markers on the blood test just appeared and that was it so I had to have another PET scan so bearing in mind that the PET scans are also not very good to have you know they don't like giving you scans all the time all the time because they're injecting you with radioactive Tracers, isotopes, right? Yeah, so and that's not good for you because that in itself can like cause other sort of like harm. But you know you have to have PET scans when when needs must. So I had another PET scan, and of course this time we sort of like discovered that it's sort of like um, come back into my liver. I had a couple of small le small lesions on the liver, and also in my sternum, and in my sacrum. So, yeah, so now, we're, now we're dealing with like liver and bones. And again, it's like you go through that scary process of trying to find out, okay, how bad is this? Um, you know, what's my prognosis? You know, and you don't like to ask that, that question. And I don't think I ever did actually ask my oncologist that question. But you sort of like find out in sort of like in a roundabout way. From the questions that you can that you do think you can ask without really scaring the bejesus out of you and, and your family um so again it was caught early and i think if i it, in my mind i think gosh if i wasn't having a you know a test like a, a blood test and a checkup every four months if i was just having one a one a yearly thing then would i be here now you know talking to you guys about this so that does cross my mind quite a lot. But anyway, so anyway, so yeah, so another sort of like, another load of treatment. So now I'm on um, a cocktail of drugs. I take an oral um, chemotherapy drug, which can, which has lots of side effects. And I take a, another hormone inhibitor, um, which basically suppresses any estrogen in my body. So the breast cancer that I've had, um, 
has always been estrogen receptive. Um, it's always been that way. So it's in that sense, it's always been quite easy um, to sort of like not to deal with, not easy, but it's it's been easy to sort of like know what treatment to give me. Um, so now I sort of like take I take three sort of like um, drugs, one of which is also like a monthly injection, and it stabilizes my bones. It's sort of like helps to strengthen my bones. Um, but I think you know I'm actually quite lucky because of all the the fitness stuff that I've done in the past and all the weight bearing stuff that we do. You know, uh, it, my bones I think are quite strong anyway, um, so that's good. It's always a good thing to do. Um, you know, keep healthy, keep doing the weight bearing stuff because it helps helps to lay down calcium onto the bones. Um, yeah, so that's it really. So I take lots of drugs and I take lots of other drugs to counteract the effects of the drugs that I'm taking. Um, but I try not to think about the side effects too much. I had to read all the all the forms at first because I had to, I had to sign consent forms, so I had no choice. I had to read about all the side effects. But I thought, well, I've, I've pushed them now to the back of my mind and just think, well, you know what, if anything crops up, then I might go back and, and refer back to those leaflets that I've got. But otherwise, I try not to think about it. But I'm still working, you know, and I'm still enjoying life and I'm still doing the stuff that I, I want to do. Um, I can sort of like, I can see differences in the way that I feel. I can, I can feel differences. I get a little bit more tired maybe than perhaps I used to. And, you know, the fatigue... It's a big thing. It's sort of like it builds up. Um, so there are things I think, oh, I can't do that quite as well as I used to do it. But so even my um, even now, like, you know, my, my heart and lungs are quite compromised, and that's probably because obviously because of the the, uh, the oral drugs that I take, the oral chemo, the um, the Everlimus. Um But you know, I just do what I can. I just do what I can, and it's not affecting my job, which is which is, which is brilliant. And that's the main thing. So, yeah. So, you know, I've probably sort of like stunned you into silence now. <laughs> I, just, I think, I think it just, it, like listening to your story, just kind of, there's like a million questions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think probably the, like for me, and I would assume for James as well, like having uh, like young children, just, like having to have that conversation mm. and it's not once you know to have it multiple times no, not yeah. just your children you're well, really yeah. close with your yeah. family like we see you yeah all the time yeah that's here right. with your sisters. Mm. and in fact i think silk came in here once after your third diagnosis and mm. you could just see the kind of sadness yeah. in her yeah it's it's tough it's tough it's like you have it's a huge burden and you know, you sort of like you get to the point where you don't. And I think this is what it is about um, when you are diagnosed with cancer, is that you end up propping other people up. You end up being strong for other people, and that's part of. It's part of the the, the the thing, is that you sort of like you feel for them as well, and you you feel a huge responsibility to them as well. So, and you know, and, and even with the kids, I just think, well, if. You know how I am, it affects them, so it's quite hard mm -hmm. in that respect. Yeah. But we're here. And you you obviously do you speak and you write about um your story and yeah. that obviously gives I mean, you, you put something on Facebook the other day. I was just like, oh, you know, really kind of 
it's hard, but I can imagine if I was in that situation, it would really give me uh, strength and hope. Um, yeah, exactly. I think out of um, out of all the adversity, I think you have to do something positive, mm-hmm. and that's why it's difficult for me to to think that you're going through all this stuff, but you're not actually doing anything to help others. And um, you know, my, my, even my job has actually evolved quite a lot because of what I've gone through. And I suppose people sort of like they because I've written quite a few articles and even a few of the articles have been on Huffington Post, which is quite a big thing for me. But and I'm quite actually quite happy about that. But people sort of like find stuff online and they just and I get sort of like contacted by sort of like people from all over the country. It's like really weird. Um, it's like you know I've read your article. Can I sort of like can you give me some information on sort of like keeping fit? you know, during treatment and whatever. And it's and I just, and I just, I, yeah, I just love helping other people. I just think, I've gone through this. What good can I do for other people, you know, because of what I've gone through? And I've written quite a few blogs on, you know, the, on the subject. And I've even written a blog about, you know, what, what you should, you know, how you deal with it with your children when it comes to sort of like mm. telling your children about, you know, your cancer diagnosis mm. and, and you know, you know, I've even written stuff about how you know what how what you say to a friend who's been diagnosed with breast cancer and stuff that you shouldn't say, stuff that you can say, and you know, it's um. But I think stuff yeah, like that really helps. Though. It does mm. help. I think it just it raises awareness, and and that's one of the reasons why I do work very closely with with a number of charities. And sometimes I feel like I'm just on social media doing that stuff, but. It just what it does it raises awareness and it's not just me just you know just there again you know it's it's done for a reason it's done for a reason and you know you can become a little bit of a media tart but but in a, it's, it's 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 for a re, it's for, a for good, the greater good it's right? for the greater good you know and I think you know and the research part of it it really does it's it's a thing that I feel so strongly about because I've got you know I've got daughters. And, you know, the thing is, men can get diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. There, are, there are around, at the moment, 350 men per year that get diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's not something that's talked about a lot. There's a lot of stigma around a man being diagnosed with breast cancer. But actually, it happens. Um, so it does affect men as well. But, you know, but obviously it affects more women. And it affects young women. And I see so many women that are affected by it and these are women in their 20s and that's scary why are so many young women now being diagnosed with breast cancer so for me it's a thing it's a very thing it's a thing close to my heart I've got twin daughters you know they they just turned 21 and you know if I can help you know raise awareness and raise funds so that we can put more funds into that research then it just it just means everything because for me it's probably like you know it's too late, but hey it's like for, for our future generations it's for our kids, and that's what I think about. And you know people might sort of like get very cynical, very skeptical about charities, but you know each experiment each experiment these um, scientists perform it each experiment costs millions, so that's why we need to carry on raising funds because without that those funds they can't do their job and they hopefully they you know they'll make the world a much better place much safer place i mean they do 
I mean, since like well, since cancer became such a, it's quite a big issue. I mean, yeah. that's kind of probably underselling it a little bit, but it's a huge issue. And yeah. I think it's become a lot more uh, prevalent, like in a mainstream sense, like everyone mm. knows what it is. Um, and, if, and there's like a lot, there is a lot of research going on. There are a lot more uh, like kind of out there yeah. thinking there um, to try and find ways for the body to counteract it yeah. um, itself. And I was, I don't know how much weight it has, but I was reading an article um, just recently about uh, this idea of stress and uh, like depression mm. almost, almost encouraging cancer to grow and the opposite of if you stay positive and um, like essentially happy chemicals. Yes, yeah. Um, helping to like reduce mm, uh, yeah. the the speed and those, and in some cases shrink man this is obviously not in humans this is in mice at the moment yeah um, but there's like look, there are loads of different mm-hmm. studies you know that that like avenues that people are going down trying to find you know like do they eat raw yeah exactly food? like you know that there's loads of things like that was that yeah did you like i know you're you on a cocktail of drugs but do you or did you also kind of look into that as well mm. Yeah, I did. I mean, I mean, when I was, um, it's very interesting to talk about stress because before I was diagnosed, a few years preceding the diagnosis, that I did actually go through quite stressful situations, and I and I actually think that that stress played a big part in my diagnosis. Um, and there have been there have been sort of like, and there's been quite a lot of research into the stress thing, and I know that one charity did quite a big. Um, study into it and they sort of like found that stress actually didn't wasn't really a big factor but I still think that it is because stress is actually bad for you it's bad for your body so I sort of like I'm a, I'm a bit of a believer in that but going back to like the alternative stuff I remember being in that hospital bed after I had my mastectomy and a program came on and it was on channel four and it was um, Sarah Beanie who was presenting this program, and she talked about parabens in toiletries. And we'd always been quite—I'd always been sort of like quite healthy. I've always been, a, you know, quite sort of like a natural person. You know, I didn't like taking, you know, painkillers for headaches before my diagnosis. So um, it was a bit like. Um, okay, so now she's talking about parabens in toiletries and things. And so from that point, I actually stopped buying toiletries and makeup that um, contain parabens. So I'm sort of like really, even, you know, foods, preservatives, whatever, I'll try, I'll look at everything, I'll look at all the ingredients. And even before I buy a bit of makeup, you know, I'll get the the sales assistant to just check the box for me and just sort of like just make sure. Um, so yeah, I do do that, and and also I do I do try and sort of like eat organic wherever I can. But crikey, some organic stuff is so expensive; mm. it's not always possible to do that, especially if you do still eat meat. And organic meat is just it is just off the scale. <laughs> if ever you've tried to buy a bit of organic meat, it is just crazy. The prices are crazy. 
Um, so, but I do try. I do try, and, and, and I try, you know, I try to eat healthily. And you know, I'm sort of like aware that lots of foodstuffs contain. They don't contain foodstuffs. Let's face it. Mm. And I've always said that the food industry is the biggest con ever. It really is the biggest con. And in recent years, you know, we've come across things like the mad cow disease. We've come across things like, you know, they're feeding chickens, chicken carcasses. Chickens don't eat meat. They eat, you know, seeds and, and corn and things like that. So why are you feeding chickens? It's all stuff like that. You know, you know, you have to think about this stuff. So I do try and, I, I, that's what I think about. I try and think outside the box and I try and think about the stuff that we eat. And we do try and eat happy chicken wherever we can. Um, and I have actually gone a little bit more, sort of like more vegan as well in, in recent years. So we try and, you know, I do eat lots of fruit and veg and I try and sort of like be careful about what I'm eating. Um, I've had lots of alternative <laughs> um, cures, things thrown at me from all different directions. If I had a pound for all the personal messages that I've received from, you know, from people that, that mean well and that, that care about me and I that's great but you know what I'm never going to give up on conventional medicine that's one thing that I will I will never you know sort of like give everything up you know pack my yoga mat go off to India and start doing the Ayurvedic medicine stuff I've seen people do that and I've seen them come out the other side but not in a good way and I just think there's so much research that goes into medic, you know, medicine nowadays around cancer. Let's just like, let's just go with that, but just, but do other stuff that I, you know, that counteracts some of the effects. And that's what I try and do. I just, you know, I try, I eat healthily. I always have done, but now I'm sort of like more, much more aware, much more tuned in to the stuff that I think is, is, you know, and I do take supplements. Um, you know, I do take green powder. I, you know, I have stuff like that every day, um, as long as it's natural. <laughs> as long as it's like not, because some supplements also are not very good for you because they, they, they contain other stuff that they shouldn't have in them. You know, and it does look like it can be quite costly, but I just try and do whatever I can. I'm not going to go mad, and I'm not going to sort of like. I'm just trying to keep it real. I'm never going to be going going eating just raw food. I just couldn't. I can't do it. I just think, what's the point of that? You know, well, there's... You've got the Sicilian-Italian heritage. Got, and... Yeah, and I just think, <laughs> oh, we sort of, like, our food is just like, whoa, it's just, mm-hmm. it means everything. So how can I just sort of like, you know, while they're eating their bit of lovely lasagna, I'm sitting there eating my carrot, <laughs> or raw carrot and, and a celery stick. I just, yeah, I just couldn't do it. But, um, yeah, so I do, there are lots of things that I do that... Um, just to, like you know that you know um, yeah I can't do just like the the extreme stuff, but I'll do whatever I can to help my cause and to you know and people quite often message me and say it's been eleven years since your diagnosis, and you know I was I was given a ninety five percent chance that I'd make it to five years, um, and that's quite a good thing ninety five percent chance I'd make it to five years. You know, at the time, I thought, gosh, am I ever going to make it to 50? You know, and I'm, I've gone beyond that. You know, my 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 milestone is, is 60. My next milestone is I'm going to make it to 60, and I'm going to have a big party when I get to 60. Um, 
so it's like people have quite often messaged me and, and they're like, you know, what, what are you doing? You know, you're sort of like still living what you're doing. You know, and I'm happy to share what I do, but I don't know what it is. Is it what we eat, what we drink, what we're putting, on, putting inside our bodies, what we put on our bodies? Is it the environment? Is it the pollution? You know, what goes, in, what goes into the oceans? It's like, you know, there are so many things. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Who has the answer? But what I don't want is for people to say to me, your oncologist is hiding the cure from you. That is what I don't want to hear. Because I just think that's rubbish. And I have actually written about this. Because I just think if, like, breast cancer is not just one disease. There are so many different types of breast cancer. Are you telling me that the oncologist is hiding the cure for all those different types of breast cancer? And then what about pancreatic cancer? What about colon cancer? What about prostate cancer? We're talking about cancers. You're, you have to deal with those, all those cancers in a different way. So don't tell me that my oncologist is hiding the cure from me because it doesn't, it's just rubbish. Mm. To me, it doesn't make sense. And you know, if if they if if the kind of capital T they were in, were in a position to uh, cure cancer, whoever who whomever were the people who had that all curing pill would make millions and mi billions. So if they did have it, exactly, they would lose it. Exactly. Like, what is the gain for what is the gain? people not surviving cancer? There isn't one. Exactly. You know? That's, so just, that's, how, that's how I, I think mean, think of the money. Yeah. Like, just the crazy conspiracy it's a, theory. Exactly. You always have conspiracy theories. You always have conspiracy theories, always. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, the thing about the CBD oil as well. There's a big thing about it. And actually, now, now we're talking, they're, they're talking about GPs being able to, you know, to sort of like to prescribe, you know, um, medical yeah. um, marijuana. marijuana. So, you know, it's. All this stuff is like, maybe, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, <laughs> no. Yeah, I've, I've looked into the uh, CBD oil. And, that's, and the things that make it addictive, in, you know, it's not in CBD oil. It's like at a 0.001 percentage. So it's, there is, it's not, it doesn't have that same like, oh, I want to do it again. Yeah. Um, but it definitely does have that, I think it's mellowing. Yeah. Uh, effect and uh, you know you've seen like uh, Parkinson's, Parkinson's, Parkinson's uh, NMS, reduce, multiple yeah, sclerosis shades, as well, reducing the joint pain um, yeah. and visibly and it's not that's not you know I, there are videos they show people when they they haven't uh, you know smoked the marijuana yeah. you know having the shakes and then they show them you know, it's true like yeah later, and it's down it's down a lot um, so you know it's yeah. not some kind of wild hippie, mm -hmm. druggy thing. It's a, it, 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 it helps. Yeah. It actually so helps kind of, you know, people definitely. And the, 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 the little boy recently was in the yeah. in the news with, with the epilepsy. Mm. You know, it's like, okay, it's, like, it's helping. Come mm. on, you know, it's helping people. So, um, so yeah, you know, again, sort of like sort of, things are changing. I don't know, but um, yeah. For, so for the time being, I'm sort of like I'm plodding along you know things are going well and you know the the I had a PET scan recently and the results are really good you know I'm you know we sort of like have this thing where we sort of like you know I'm a stable Mabel um 
you know, nothing's progressed. And I, you know, you, I couldn't have wished for better news, really, because it just means everything's being contained. Um, and so long may that continue. So I'm people sort of ask if I'm coming off the medication, but no, I have to continue with the medication. That's one thing that I have to do. Um, if I came off of it, then you know, the cancer would, you know, inevitably reactivate at some point in the future. So I have to keep taking the drugs, and I'm still having blood tests every month and I'm still having my oncologist appointments every month um so you know we, we just we take one month at a time in our sort of like in our household um and even with family it's like I have those blood tests every month and but every month it's like oh my god you know what's happening are those tumor markers still coming down is everything okay so that's how that's how we live and it's not a great way to live but we just make the most of it in those, you know, sort of like few weeks I've got in between those um, appointments. I just make the most of it. I just sort of like just put it to the back of my mind. And I just, I really do believe that my job and what I do has helped me so much with my um, wellness journey, with my road to recovery. And because I'm distracted all the time and I feel like I've, I've got a responsibility to my clients and to my class participants and whatever so for me it's like a, a huge distraction and, and I think that's what helps with my just staying positive you know and um, it's nothing about it's nothing to do with being brave because anyone in my situation would you know would be brave but it, I think you know it's just it, the positivity helps you know the think about your mindset and and the thinking that you've got a future helps you know, there have been lots of dark days where I don't, where I didn't think that I had a future, and I, I remember, you know, not even to like buy myself anything, because I thought if I buy this dress, what's the point? You know, I'm not even going to be able to enjoy it. Why should I be spending money? You know, I should be saving money. You know, because my kids might need it. You know, it's just think it's that sort of like thought process. But then you think if you think like that all the time, you're in a downward spiral, because you're 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 just going to become negative. Um, so I do stay positive for as you know for as much as I possibly can, and um, you know I'm not I'm not like a some sort of like superwoman. I do have my negative days. I do can you know I can be sort of like a bit of a negative Nelly sometimes because that is like that is real life, um, and I'm a real person. But but I, yeah, I try to sort of limit those times when you, I feel that way. You try and kind of, you try and hide away a bit, but now I guess. I guess with a job you can't so much, but yeah, I just try. Yeah, yeah. I do. Like, when you're like, not, like I guess it probably not the same, but when I'm not in the best moods, I try and limit my exposure to people. <laughs> try yeah. and kind of like I do. I just I, and also I just say that I'm you know, not in the best of moods. If my responses aren't nice, then it is. It's it's that like don't yeah. take a person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I'm sort of like, yeah, fall your, your children. Like, exactly. It's not a day just... No, that's and that's and that, but that's one of the reasons why I've always tried to be positive because I just mm. think if you're at home and you're, you know, quite often, and it's a bit of a, quite often that the mother can set the temperature in the household. <laughs> you know, it's like a well-known fact that the women can sort of like make or break your day <laughs> it's like how you're feeling then that's how your husband is going to feel and your kids going to feel and you know if I'm ever sort of like sad I've never sort of like 
I don't really show it to the children. And they 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 grown up my kids, but they still they still get affected and they're still very sensitive to how I am and what I'm going through and whatever. So yeah, I'm a bit like that. I don't like to show. I just try to sort of like stay happy and positive. And I know that's not the real that's not the true face of like, you know, that's not the real um face of, of cancer all the time, but I don't know. I think I've 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 showed it in my in what I write. The true the, the true tra- true face of it is there. I don't have to keep showing people mm. that I'm I'm not feeling that great or I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I don't, it's difficult because you do want to sort of like raise awareness for certain things, um, but you can't be there all the time. Mm. I think if you're always negative, it just sort of like attracts negative. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. You, I mean, you say you're not brave. I think you're incredibly brave, and yeah, just. An amazing person um, with an amazing story. So, really grateful for you uh, coming here and talking to us. Oh, that's, um, that's my, my pleasure. And and I mean, even just coming here every week and, and seeing you, it's been yeah, mm. just amazing getting to know you. Yeah, no, thank so you. Thanks for that. Um, last thing, wear it pink. You uh, had a wear it pink day uh, yeah. last year. Are you planning one this year? When will that be? And right, so yeah, so Wear It Pink. And it, actually, before I start talking about Wear It, just very quickly, yeah. because Wear It Pink, um, people get a bit cheesed off about the pink thing, about the pink, the whole <laughs> pink thing. Because, you know, quite often I get, I get told, you know, breast cancer isn't pink and it's not fluffy and it's not about wearing a tutu and it's not about wearing, wearing a pink wig. And I get, you know, I get that. I get that and I know that. I'm the first person to know that. But I think if it's not the colour pink, then you tell me what colour you'd like breast cancer to be. Would you like it to be brown? Would you like it to be black? Would you like it to be grey? Would you like it to be beige? What colour would you like breast cancer to be? Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Breast cancer is not pink and fluffy. But you get pink and fluffy because you're just raising funds, you're raising awareness. And, you know, it's like, and having breast cancer doesn't have to be the end of the world. I've lost very close um, friends to breast cancer. So I know the dark side of it. I know what it, what it can, what colour it can be. But I just think we need to keep it pink because we need to make it, we need to make it appear like we can give hope. You know, it, it's like, it's not all doom and gloom. And when we have, like, wear it pink days, yes, we do do silly things. Yes, we do, like, you know, don pink stuff and whatever. But it's for a reason, you know. It's to like try and make it a little bit fun. We try and give it a fun element. Um, so wear it pink day this year is on the 19th of October. It's a Friday, um, and it's going to be a good day. We, we're, we're going to make it bigger and better. And, you know, it's going to be in Bushill Park, um, Bushill Park, um, Queen Anne's Parade. And hopefully we're going to get more businesses involved this year. There were quite a few businesses involved last year. And we had collection boxes and we had, like, you know, um, buntings up and whatever. And, you know, it hung up in, in the shops and whatever. But this year we're trying to make it bigger and better 
and we're trying to, we're going to raise more funds and it's all about raising funds for research and you know you know a quick reminder we need the, we need the research because we need to make breast cancer um, a kinder type of cancer we need to be able to give people the chance to live and you know we we had this sort of like hashtag last year and I think we still use it live fearlessly you know if you're diagnosed with cancer and I'm hoping it's not just for breast cancer but other cancers obviously but if you're diagnosed with breast cancer that you're gonna you've got hope that you think actually you know I don't, I'm, I don't have to die from this I can actually live um, and that's what it's all about so wear it pink is on the 19th of October in Queen Anne's Parade, Bushill Park, Enfield, London, the UK. Um, you know, come from wherever you're coming from, far and wide. We want to sort of like try, we're going to start promoting it um, very soon. And yeah, um, yeah, so that's Wear It Pink. Awesome. Is that enough information on Wear It I Pink? Think, I think that's plenty. Have I given enough information? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. But you'll be hearing a lot more about it. Sounds good. Mm. All right then, I think we're uh, just about done. Is it a wrap? I think we're suitably speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed episode two of the Bore of the Podcast. The Wear It Pink event has happened uh, last year, just over £1,000 was raised. And this year, nearly £3,000 was raised. Um, it was an incredible day, and the community really came out in full force. Uh, you can see the video highlights by clicking the link in the description. Um, and as usual, you can follow the Pour Over Podcast on Instagram at Pour Over Podcast. And you can follow me, Jade, at Black J Films. And James? Uh, you can follow me at Mr. James Stanton on Instagram. And Colin? You can follow me at Colin underscore Stanton 82. All right. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Pour Over Podcast. Mm-hmm.